0: Hi, I'm Alison Sandy. And I'm Sally Layden. Welcome to Episode 9 of Conversations. We're going to go over today um, the outcome of the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal Proceedings, which is basically FOI for the case file into Sally's, um, uh, Sally's fi- the police file into Marion Barter's disappearance that Sally has been applying for. So it's the fight for that. Um, Brian, you were there. Do you want to go over some of the um, inter- interesting um, aspects of it?
1: Yeah, so Sally's going through um, NCAT for two reasons. To to get access to um, third-party information about her mum given to the police during the course of their investigation from groups like uh, and agencies like Customs and Medicare. And secondly, to learn what drove the decision by the police to remove Marion Barter from the missing persons register and suspend the investigation. Uh, One of the best points of the day, and and the police are arguing that they shouldn't be required to hand over any information because the investigation's ongoing, but as Rico, our our lawyer uh, for Channel 7, said, if the police are presuming that Marion chose to go missing of her own volition and isn't in any danger, what are they investigating? Therefore, why can't they just hand the file over? Which is a very compelling question um, that goes to the heart of you know why we have to go through this expensive, drawn-out legal process to get information about Sally's mum for Sally. And um, in his submissions, he, he pointed out that the main, the other main objection that when um, individuals or groups or government agencies hand over information to a police detective uh, who's investigating something—in this case, a missing persons—there's a specific or implied um, agreement that the information will be kept confidential and private, that it won't be seen by anyone outside the police investigation. Now, there's a couple of things our lawyer argued in relation to that. The historic nature of a lot of this information means that that no longer is an issue. Uh, We're talking about things handed over by um, uh, government agencies in 2007, 2011. And secondly, a lot of this... Um, information has been diclo- disclosed to Sally verbally so um, detective gary sheen might have said to to um, to sally look your mum changed her name to this um uh, Bella, natalia Marion Remigel. he's she, she um, ha- changed it by a deed poll it was witnessed by someone we want to have a look at the deed poll so so we're asking for not information that we didn't know existed in many cases. We want to see the information we've told they've, they've come across. So it's, it's OK for them to disclose they've got it. We just want to see it. Yeah. So, in, in essence, that that sort of calls into question the... And our lawyer is saying that the the, the member in, in the tribunal, we don't have judges or magistrates, we have a senior member, they're asking the senior member to give more weight to Sally's right to know and, and the interests of <clears throat> public, <clears throat> public disclosure rather than the implied right to privacy given those two things the historical nature of it and the fact that Sally's been told verbally about a lot of this stuff we just want to see the documentation
0: before we go into the police retaliation on our arguments Sally, why is this important to you
2: Well, as I've said before, you know, a lot of that information, even things like the Medicare information, I know the date of when she used the Medicare card apparently in Grafton. Um, But, you know, I haven't got that information in front of me. Um, I think for me personally, I'm kind of to be honest, a little sick and tired of being told by police that they've never located my mum, yet they believe that she's safe and well. So I need them to be able to definitively tell me why she they believe she's safe and well. Yeah. And, you know, the back and forth all the time is just ridiculous. I just feel like it's brick wall after brick wall after brick wall and there's no clarity to that. Like, it's like they've they've made their decision and they're sticking to it no matter what happens. Um, you know, and as I've said previously, it's my my decision and my my idea that something bad has happened to my mum, and I, it frustrates the life out of me that police won't listen to that and take heed of what I'm saying. Like I knew her better than anybody else. I was still seeing her weekly for dinner, and you know, it's not normal behaviour. They can sit there and write in the report that she was three times divorced and you know, 51 years old. All they're doing is labelling her by doing those sorts of comments.
1: Yeah, um, and by, it's got and by, no and,
2: reference to her disappearing whatsoever.
1: Exactly, Sal, and, and it's always been the assumption police have made that Marion disappeared of her own volition. And in the file they do say things like, oh, well, this is an older woman who was three times married. Correct. Well, what, what the hell does that have to do with it's anything? It's
2: got nothing she, to do with anything. They are simply exactly. labelling her and trying to put a paint a picture that, oh, well, you know, she's probably a woman who just wanted to go off and met another guy and had lots of relationships. That's a load of rubbish. Um, and yeah, i'm not she was very close to anymore.
1: you and owen and her own parents her friends she was deeply committed to her career her, her private possessions something happened to change all that well you don't it, what, win you the just... best
2: teacher in queensland award six months earlier before you leave and i found out some information this week um in my searches which i'll talk about a bit later which will put a bit of shine a bit of light on that as well
1: now, yeah,
0: I was there um, for um, Steve White, who is the acting commander, who oversees the area that um, that for the the New South Wales Missing Persons Unit, and like Gary, lovely guy, um, and uh, he went up there and he'd been through the case file, but very much. Um, like a lot of police, um, just what he could see, the facts that he, as, as he knew it. Now, he hadn't spoke to, spoken to Gary prior to this. He just relied on the case file. Um, and I think the interesting thing that, that came out of that was that there had been no decision, no formal decision to reopen the case. So whatever capacity that they're looking at it, and it was very – I mean, the police couldn't say um, – Exactly what had been done as part of the investigation supposedly being reopened, um, just that there had been notes made in the files since January this year. So that's – and we know that that is as a, as a result of the NCAT um, case that that they had to um, then follow it up.
2: And I, I will just add there that I spoke to Gary. I called him the day that he returned back from leave. He'd been doing a lot of cases and um, been at court a fair bit and had some time off. This was back in January and I was just about to leave to go overseas and I'd been ringing through the week and the um, other detectives there had told me that he was coming back on a certain day. So I rang him at 4 o'clock that afternoon on the first day. They'd said to me the day before, make sure you ring him early because he's got a lot of work to do, catching up after not being here for almost six weeks, I think. And I rang at around four o'clock in the afternoon. I've got the time dated in my in my diary, but. Um I was amazed after having numerous conversations with Gary and him always saying he doesn't have time to do anything and, you know, his hands are tied and he'll only do things if, you know, he finds the time to do so. Yet when I spoke to him, he said, Sal, I've come in today and I've done 17 checks um, around the country on depot and driver's licence. And I I actually was quite shocked at that because (laughs) I thought to myself, why all of a sudden are you doing all these checks? Like you've told me numerous times before for the past three or four years that you've got no time to do anything. So I did find that quite interesting after we'd gone down this path that they all of a sudden were doing some checks and he had told me that um, he had requested a new um, detective to have a look over the case to run Fresh Eyes, I think is what he quoted, saying um, just in case he'd missed something and then, ref- and then said back um, with that that, he, they wouldn't find anything because he's, he had done a thorough job. But, um, yeah, so I found it quite interesting that that happened in the January... Yeah, and to be honest, like, no-one's rung me to tell me what they found or what they haven't found. I rang yeah. him back when I got back from America and he said to me, I've only had New South Wales and ACT come back to me at this point and they've all proven to be negative results.
1: So, so what our lawyer was saying um, in NCAT on Monday was that... Um, Mr White, as Alison said, Acting Commander Stephen White um, has not been involved in the investigation. So what he's done as a result of us um, taking this legal action, he has gone through the COPS system, it's COPS, and that's where they record all the official entries involved in a particular case. So he's reviewed that and uh, other written material to sort of bone up on the case. And then he's come in to give his position for New South Wales Police that, in actual fact, after many, many years, since 2011 when they suspended the case, I think they said that in December last year there there was activity in the investigation and that was recorded in the COPS system this January. Therefore, the investigation is ongoing. Now, that, that sort of underpins their argument. Our lawyer sort of got up and said, well, was there any decision? Can you tell us about any decision to reopen the investigation? And he said, no, I'm not aware of any formal decision. That's number one. And secondly, he said, well, what's the new activity? What are they doing? He said, well, I, I don't know. I just know that I've read something in COPS. So our lawyer then said to the senior member presiding over this that in in Seven Channel 7's opinion, uh, they should give very little weight to Acting Commander White's evidence. And our lawyer even described it as um, that the senior member should be suspicious of this new activity, um, basically inferring that it's not so much genuine investigative work as a, I guess, uh, a show of something to prevent the file being released. That, that That's kind of the, the argument that he was putting and that, that the senior members should give more weight to your rights, Sally, and to the rights for the public to know mm. than to this flurry of so-called activity. What we
0: do know is that after speaking to Gary, after he'd done those extra checks, and uh, I think there might have been some... You know, will we be able to find out or find, do we know where she is or whatever? You know, and anyway, it turns out that we don't. We don't know where she is. The police confirmed that. They don't, and, and even Gary said if we had all the information he had, we wouldn't be able to find her. So that's how um, adamant he is that she hasn't, they don't, you know, she's not located.
2: And now, although they haven't written it in anything, he has told me that the case is closed and that, you know, he his hands are tied, he can't do anything, and the, the list of things that I've given him over the years, um, which are all documented, um, asking him to do certain checks and things like that, he comes back saying, I really want to help you, Sal, my hands are tied. If well, I can, I, I, I find <clears> time <throat> to do it, I'll do it in my spare time. And that's not good enough. Like really, No, me. I
1: emailed him last month uh, with a list of things, as you know, Sal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after our trip to England and Luxembourg, and, and with a bunch of simple things that, that it is... Only the police can check. Mm. And we, we gave him a list. Um, I think there were about 10 different things we said. Or it started off with two or three, but a total of well, less than 10. Uh, specific things to check that would greatly advance our understanding of what happened to Marion. Yep. And I got an email back saying, mate, um, as I've said, um, due to um, legislative and
0: Organisational. Work,
1: su- ...supervisory, organisational um, considerations and pressures, I, my, I can't do anything right now. So... I mean, I'm not sure where that leaves you and us because... Well, what, where it leaves us is we're now taking it upon ourselves to do a bunch of checks that otherwise would be done by New South Wales Police, and it, it's it's tough going. We're doing it, but mm. should we be doing it?
0: Now, one of the great things... I um, I love the IPC in New South Wales is the Information Privacy Commissioner, and they made their own submission in relation to Sally's file, and mm. these are some great points they've made. Um... So in common law, a person is presumed dead where the person has not been heard of for seven years by persons who would be expected to hear from that person if the person were alive. So that's one point in Sally's favour. Again, you know, because obviously if if Marion was alive, she'd have privacy um, hmm. issues in relation to a file, like um, we'd have to protect her fi- privacy. So that's one point in Sally's favour as to why this information should be released. Point, point, Another point they've made, if consultation is required concerning the release of personal information about a deceased person, that consultation is to be done by consultation with a close relative of the deceased. Sally, have you ever been consulted about the release of personal information involving your mother? No. No, of course not. The tension between, the the last point, the tension between considerations of favouring and against disclosure in such a case should usually be resolved in favour of disclosure. So there are all reasons that this information should... And this is why we're there. I mean...
1: And in terms of that seven years, Alison, um, the, the common law presumption that someone is deceased if they haven't been in touch with their loved ones in seven years, you know, the length of time the police claim, or whatever they're basing their claim on, Uh, for suspending the file. When when did they last, or when did someone they think last spoke to Marion? uh, When was that recorded contact made? I'm guessing it was well over seven years ago.
0: It was, but even then there isn't actually any records of her being, as you know, cited or spoken
1: to. And and Gary's told us, he told us in the interview in the podcast, uh, I've never cited her, I've never spoken to her.
2: And something that I've looked up many years ago was, um, now I did Google how to say this properly yesterday because you two both told me I say it wrong, but um, <laughs> you can pronounce it absentia or absentia, which is a Latin absentia, yeah. word for absent. Um, so many, many places around the world have um, in their legal system a death in absentia, which is a legal declaration that a person has uh, deceased in absence of remains um, being attributed to that person despite the absence of a direct proof of death. so, if in other words, what they're saying in that first point, 21, a common law, you know, a person is presumed dead if they have not been heard for or seen for seven years. Um, there has to be some kind of ruling that helps people like me and the many hundreds of others who here in Australia have loved ones who are missing longer than that. Um, you know, I've looked at some information and looked at some previous cases as well where, You know, it's unfortunate. People people do go missing, and there was one case in Tasmania where a guy was missing for many, many years. His family couldn't access any of his information or details. Um, They lost everything of his, um, similar to me. And then they found out they found his body, and he had suicided. And you know, so there's all these all these issues that arise from not us not getting help legally, and from the police to actually investigate and look further. I All of my mum's things are gone. Her money's been all stripped out of her bank account. She sold her house. All her possessions are, are gone. So there's nothing left for me to claim or, or gain from any of this. I'm not yeah. interested in that part of it. I just want to find out what's happened to her. And I think that should be a big consideration too. It's not like she's got this massive amount of money sitting in a bank account somewhere that I'm trying to get to. That's This has got nothing to do with it. It's just about finding out what's happened to my mum, which has now taken on 22 years. Um, um, you yeah. know it's probably a good time to share that I had a lady um, contact me through Facebook during the week. Her name is Peter. And she works for Wallace and Wallace Lawyers up in Mackay. And um, thank you for Peter for um, reaching out to me. She sort of suggested if I do a few certain things, I could get a number and if I put this number into this, I'd be able to find this. And I just looked at her and went, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what to do here. So I said, if you've got time, if you want to check it out for me, that would be amazing. Uh, within probably 20 minutes, she came back with a document that is the transfer document on my mum's sale of her house. In Southport, and on there, there was a solicitor's uh, signature witnessing my mum's signature, which is also on there. Um, that has a lot of information on that document, which I'll be working on hopefully this week when I get a spare second. But anyway, I did ring the solicitor um, who is the signature on the document. and. Lo and behold, my mum taught his son at CSS and he remembered my mum very well. He spoke very highly of her and said he was very sad he'd heard what had happened in media. Um, and he alerted me that I, when I asked him if he could check if he did the conveyancing um, signatories for the transfer of the property, um, he said he'll come back to you in about 20 minutes. Um, he came back to me within one minute and said, I don't have that, but I do have her will. So. Oh, wow. He, um, he was able to tell me that the will was written on the 13th of the 11th, uh, 96. And I find that very interesting. Mum bought that house at the beginning of 1994. Um, so for her to not get around to doing a will, um, for that property until November 1996, she then sold the house in April 97. She changed her name in May 97 and left the country and never to be seen again in the sixth month of 97 being June. So something happened between November and April. So I've been able to narrow that down quite definitively that I don't feel like she would go and write a will and go to the expense of writing a will if she was planning on selling her house and going going missing. Um, that was my take on it. But yeah, th- thank you, Peter. That, that I've been looking for that will for 22 years. I've, rung, I've got the previous will back dated in 1991 where we lived down on the south coast and I've been in contact with them and I started ringing all these solicitors on the coast just to see if they held a will for my mum which they all openly told me yes or no, um, all being no. And, uh, yeah, I stumbled across this, which was amazing. Sal, had it yeah, changed so much so, yeah. from the last one? Uh, well, obviously, I'm not privy to the information on the will oh, okay. um, due to the fact that she's not being claimed deceased. Oh. But um, he did tell me the date of when it was written. Ah. Yeah,
1: and, and, and the two things that you just mentioned, uh, well, two things from what you've just said, uh, she didn't tell you about that will she'd made out late in '96, did she?
2: No, she didn't.
1: No, and the other thing is, I mean, often you'll you know you'll, you'll give a copy to your daughter, your adult children, or, yep. or You know, alert them or tell them what's in it. She didn't do that. Secondly, she did that before changing her name, so the the will that states I, Marion Barter, mm. d- do this, this, and this. I mean she was a completely different person five months later mm-hmm. so right. something I think you're right something has happened in that specific time period
2: and I also I've been speaking with Barb Matthew who's one of her good friends who did speak on the podcast and she we've been bantering back and forth about time frames and she believed that she, when she came up to spend time with mum it was in the September holidays of 1996 and she then clarified that her wallet had um, just been stolen Around that time, so that's when she was telling like we were trying to work out because she knew about the wallet being stolen as well, because Mum had told her and also showing her the photo, I think of the CCTV footage. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of good for me as well because. It puts us in a in a time frame, like you know, September around that time in in ninety six is when the wallet was stolen. We are hoping to get some information back. We are working with um, Queensland uh, Freedom of Information currently to get that information. They've told me that I should have an answer by the end of next week. That's the um,
0: the office of the Information Commissioner. So yeah, and we have um, also given them those um, because obviously they they've got the problem of privacy or or the issues with privacy in the same way that everyone. But we um, we pointed out those um, points that were made by the equivalent of the OIC in New South Wales, which is the Information Privacy Commissioner. So hopefully, we will be successful there.
2: And just to note too, like it doesn't, it's not really that exciting, I guess, for me that I've, I know where the will is. It's just good for my psyche to go. Oh my god! I felt like I had a win. Mm. Like I never get a win ever. So the fact that I found it, um, I was I was crossing everything. I have my fingers literally crossed, going. Oh my god! I hope this guy can help me. I seriously do. I'm just at my last straw of trying to find these these things out. And as I said, there's nothing in her will that is going to benefit me or my family because everything's gone but it was just good to know where the will is and I know that it's safe and I know it's with a person who cared about her and knew her as a person which is nice to know I'm quite heartened
0: also because uh, Mark Leveson reached out to you on Twitter didn't he Brian in relation to our latest um, NCAT story
1: yeah, he did, and he just tweeted, um, uh, good on you, um, and keep going. We had all sorts of problems, uh, getting information. We spent a lot of time and money through the Gipper process, the Government Information Privacy Act, Freedom of Information process, um, that they, you know, they neither could afford nor thought they should have to go through, um, and really urging us to, to carry on. And I sent him a lovely message back, and it's just, it, it, really, for all of us, and it, mainly for Sal, but I know for me and for you too, Alison, We've been on this, this roller coaster and the frustration, um, the, the, um, the brick walls, the, the, the lack of help from those you would have assumed would be jumping in with both hands to do everything possible has been, um, deeply troubling and difficult to, to deal with. The thing that's kept us going is Sally through all of this, um, knowing that she's been dealing with it for 22 years and also the fact that we have now this army of listeners including now Matthew Levinson's father um, uh, who are helping us and urging us not to give up and actually joining in rolling up their sleeves and and getting us new information and running down leads and we're actually making a lot of progress and as you said on Monday we are going to find out what happened to Marion I'm certain of that
0: and Matthew Levinson he died Uh, he was killed oh can you go over that case with me you'd know it better than me being in South Wales
1: yes well he was murdered and uh it was was, i I don't want to go into the detail of the case um in the time we have left but uh, his parents for a long time didn't know what had happened to him there was a suspect um ultimately in a very bizarre and strange turn of events um the body was located but um the the family ended up winning a coronial inquest the Mm. coroner came back with an open finding as to the cause of death but um it was uh an extraordinary case one in a, in a different but similar way in that it, it garnered a lot of publicity and the family were were they they resorted to publicly appealing for help
2: yeah. because and I, I feel trying to find out what happened in to their a really son, unusual way like I, yeah. I remember when they found his body. Mm. Um, and he was kind of buried half under a tree, and they've they've removed that tree from that location, and it's now in their backyard. And mm. God love Mark. I remember watching him. I might, I don't know, can't remember what show it was on, but you know, he was talking about trying to keep the tree alive in the backyard. But um, you know, I think, I,
1: I think all the major shows did it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Look, what a gorgeous family, and I you know I really feel for them because it is terrible. I've said it before. Like you can you can lose somebody for an hour, and it's just the most sickening feeling in your stomach. Um, and, you know, the loss of somebody that you really care about is really, really hard to deal with and, you know, it's it makes it even harder when you've got people not helping, like when people are constantly trying not to help you. Like, I, I've had many times in tears on the phone when I've had Queensland Police Missing Persons Unit saying, sorry, Sally, we can't help you because New South Wales have carriage for the case and I cried to that woman on the phone in pleading with her to help me and I got nothing. Okay, absolutely nothing.
0: Well, he you know, he said don't take no for an answer, Sal. Um, and keep making noise, and he said that at the coronial inquest they received all they ever wanted and more. So yeah, I fingers know, crossed. I, I mean, I have no doubt that we're going to be successful there, that's for sure.
2: Well, I think we were talking yesterday, just to give everybody who's listening a bit of an idea of what happens. Do you guys want to share, like, with, we go we go to NCAT, then we get the details, and then what's the path moving forward?
0: So then, I mean, currently Sally's made the application to the New South Wales coroner, um, and police we're just waiting on police to get back. We with their, I guess, review that they they say that they're doing in the next few weeks. So I guess they've got a fortnight left now, so we'll get back to them on that. Now, I don't think that the police are going to agree to a coronial inquest. Um, so I, I believe that the next step after that, when they don't agree, presuming that they don't agree, is that we just apply to the Supreme Court and then and then that's that's where we go from there. And um, that may take a bit of time. I guess after 22 years, Sally, you know, what's another year? I
1: don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to try and go as fast as we can. Yeah, cool. Now, people are probably wondering what happened in the wake of our trip to Luxembourg, and I can tell you there's an enormous amount happening. Now, we can't tell you today what we're working on, but obviously we were led to a particular door to a particular person in Luxembourg, and we never imagine that would happen when we started this this podcast um, and by a series of very specific unusual and detailed clues and there is really only one person in the world that fit all of those clues we've spoken to that person as you know they deny having any involvement in marion's disappearance or even knowing marion um, we we are not accusing them of being involved what we're doing is running down a lot of information we've gathered during that trip and since and we hope to bring you the results of that very soon so stay tuned.
0: Now we have also got Sally has brought in the most recent postcard that a mum sent from the UK which we're going to um a lot of people have been asking have you got that tested for DNA so that's what we're, we're going to do we're going to get the uh, DNA and that tested the uh, and then yeah we'll go from there um hopefully um I don't know the process of how long that takes. I certainly have never done it before, but we'll we'll find out and we'll. it a lot that of firsts. Too.
2: We're becoming experts <laughs> in our own right. We
0: are. <laughs> it's incredible.
1: Um, yeah, and I guess I can tell you now because I just got a call this morning from Sydney Airport. Um, we uh, I, I contacted informed me that they keep CCTV footage of arrivals and departures um, uh, even after twenty two years. I've, I, they've confirmed that's not true. Um, they have a policy of. Um, keeping it for 28 days um they yeah, do right. not have they do not have the camera footage of arrivals from august 1997 unfortunately however there is something else they are going to help me check and they i was speaking to the guy on the phone he said do you know the podcast he said yes my wife listens to it half the office have been listening to it <laughs> <laughs> we, we want to help so oh, again that's, that's the hurt. power of what you're doing selling what we're all doing
2: yeah, cool. That's excellent. Well, something I, I I sort of spoke to Alison about this yesterday and something that I feel really passionate about talking to everybody about is um, the police file that we've had, the Freedom of Information documentation. And... I don't want to go into it too much, purely for the fact that we're currently going through a court case to try and get some more information from that. But everyone sort of seems to know about Gary Sheen because Gary was the last person to help on the case. But I wanted to shed light on a Sergeant Graham Childs, who was the guy who actually took my report at Byron Bay Police Station on the twenty second of October, nineteen ninety seven. Now under close scrutiny of all of those documents that I was doing over the last two weeks, um, it just came to me rereading that document again that he lodged that report at 2pm. The report was completed at 2.37pm on the 22nd of October, the day that I arrived at the police station. So Chris and I got up that morning. We'd had the conversation with the lady about the money coming out the the evening before... And we drove to Byron Bay. We went around to all the shops, as you all know. So there was a a long time. I mean, we did it ourselves. We re-stepped the steps. It doesn't take five minutes. It took hours and hours. We then went to the Commonwealth Bank. We then decided to go to Byron Bay Police Station. So my curiosity lies with the fact that he has done this report and he has made claims in that report that $80,000 was electronically transferred out of my mum's account To overseas it's assumed to buy a house with her new partner. Um, He also claims that there was a postcard that came in on the 30th of the 8th 1997. He also makes other claims that I question how would he find that information out in the period of 37 minutes. It was a Wednesday so it wasn't a weekend but I question that. It then reflects on another insert from Stephen McAllister who worked for the Missing Persons Unit who did try and do a lot of work, it seems, now that I've got some documents, in 2007. However, he rang me... And I have an email documenting that conversation back to him, questioning him him why he was asking me certain things like, what was my mum's date of birth? What was her occupation? When did she leave the country? Did I remember who took my report at Byron Bay? Do I remember who called me from Byron Bay to tell me that they'd located my mother? I then question him and saying, I feel that you asking me these questions only tells me that you do not have a report on my mother. Because if you did, you wouldn't be asking me these questions 10 years later. So I think we really need to stop reflecting on Gary and reflect back to those first 10 years where at the very top of that document it says no further action required. Yeah. On the top of the document. So he listed her being he, Graham Childs, listed her as an occurrence and said that this was normal behaviour for her. And she yeah, was I remember married three that. times yeah. and she yeah, was. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the one who
1: wrote that, yeah. Blah, I remember blah, reading blah. that and, and thinking, uh, how, how can you. How, what are you basing this on? Where are you coming up with this? Well, how and, did, and I as, just. As, I
2: just looked back and went, how did he actually get all the information from the bank yeah.
1: in That's the space of 40
2: minutes? How does That's he know a for a fact question. that he. And uh, I mean, for him to actually sit there and say that it was electronically transferred for her to buy a house overseas, hang on a minute. Then we found out that her passport has never left the country. So clearly, yeah. you know, like, none of that made any sense to me and I, I really think we need to really dig deep and look into that a bit further. And hopefully
0: that's what NCAT will reveal as well. I mean, certainly um, we get a coronial inquest, everything comes out. But even with what we get from NCAT, I would hope Well, we,
1: yeah, one thing we'll get from NCAT is one of... I'm hoping, one of two things. We'll get the detail of why the police... what the police have based their assumption on, that Marion went missing of Verona Court. Yeah, um, the rest of those or, dot points. Or we'll get... A, a lack of detail, which means that assumption should never have been made in the first place.
2: And Joni... He, and yeah, I agree. And Joni was talking to a gentleman down in Victoria this week who is in the CIB, and he, she was telling him the story while they were sitting at the park while their kids were playing. And um, he said to her, there is no way ever... That they would take a security person's word that they saw her and deemed her safe and well, which is reflected in the letter that we got from, or that my grandfather got from the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army. Army, yeah. And if you look at that letter as well, it then reflects what Graham Childs wrote about the eighty thousand dollars being transferred. Yep. So I and feel like this. And it was a conversation. Like the Salvos... Sorry, Brian. I feel like the salvos have contacted the um, the, the police. They've got that information from them and just transferred it back over, which is just a whole ball of BS, to be honest. Because
1: that Salvo's letter, they said they spoke to an investigator who had spoken to a security guard, so it was third-hand information. And investigating, we presume, means a a police officer involved in the case. But... um, yeah, yeah no, we, we, anyway. This is what we hope to get to the bottom of.
0: Well, the NCAT. more I look into it, or um, well, the more we get, I guess, which is only bits and pieces at this stage, um, certainly um, for a good time of that hearing, um, police were speaking to the senior member of the NCAT um, who was overseeing the case for a, an hour or two hours, just about confidentially confidential information that we're not privy to. So we were locked out during that time. But I will say, um, my I, I'm starting to feel more for Gary Sheen in this because I think that by the time it got to him, it was a bit of a shit sandwich and he was really having to clean up the mess.
1: Yeah, and he's been he's been um he's been very genuine. He did, he, he got a cadaver dog and went and tracked down a lead in Armadale. Um he genuinely
0: Yeah
1: but you know that's by the time he got that shit sandwich, yeah. you know that's yeah. he, he tried to deal with it. But yep. um, as he says, he says in his words, his hands have been tied. Uh, I should let you know the petition has hit um, mm. seven thousand eight hundred signatures. Oh That's no, 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 it's
2: more. I looked this morning. Oh, eight thousand and fourteen. Ah, oh, okay. Oh, so we are going. I think everyone. I was a little bit confused too, to be honest. I thought that I thought that we weren't doing NCAT anymore, and that had all changed. So I was saying we're going to take it to um, to Supreme Court, which we are still going to do when we get to that point. But so keep signing, keep sharing, because we really. I'm, I'm kind of so chuffed that this is going so crazy. Yeah, um, crazy this is That so went
0: really quick. I mean, I was like 6,000 last time I looked, so... Yeah, so
2: we're yeah, getting and
1: there. Uh, and that's to get uh, Marion Barr to put back on the... to reinstate to, onto the missing persons register. And I just to let people know listening who don't know who Joni is. Joni's one of our fabulous listeners, a wonderful investigator Sweet. who's helped us enormously. Um, thank you, Joni, again and to all our listeners. We we love what you do for us. Thank and
2: you. And I I just to clarify that too, Bri, um... I spoke to someone who I'm very um, close to and who is good information. I'm not going to share any of that, but... She advised me that uh, my mum was actually never... After listening to conversations last week, my mum was actually... Oh, no, listening to you on the news, actually, on uh, Monday night, she was never actually on the National Missing Persons list, which is run by the AFP. So Mm -hmm. they were never allowed to put her on that list because New South Wales kept blocking them. So the only, only missing persons register that she was on was with New South Wales, and it was from 2007 when... Stephen McAllister came onto the case. He decided yep. that she had to go on the missing persons list. And then when Gary did his findings and took it, gave it to the manager of the missing persons unit, they decided to remove her in 2011. So she was actually had never in 22 years ever been on the national missing persons list.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah, and and why not? Yeah, let's get her on there. Yeah.
2: Now, July 22 is when the um,
0: the decision comes back. Is um, is due to come back from NCAT? Just to let you know, so keep. Um, unfortunately, there'll be deliberations and more submissions and everything made before then, but um, we will keep you posted. We can't obviously tell you what the, the submissions are um, until they've been lodged in NCAT, but um, anyway, we'll, uh, July 22, marketing your diary.
2: <laughs> cool. And I think I've just got a few things I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to direct everybody just back to the Facebook pages. You can go onto my mum's Facebook page, um, Missing Person Marion Barter. I can't remember if I tagged it into the Lady vanishes page either, but um, there was not interesting, uh, I don't know, a lady a lady, sent me some information that she'd found about a bank manager in Byron Bay who was, um, mm. yeah, had gone to court and caught ripping off elderly people, going to their homes, taking checks and banking them and cashing them himself. Um, and, you know, it just spiked my interest and I, spiked, mm. I guess it spiked hers as well, being that it was Byron Bay branch. Mm. Um, and it just, you know, it really, I don't know, just... My guts sank a little bit to think, who is this guy? Has he had something to do with my mum? You know, it just seemed like there could be something there. But, you know, we know that he didn't work at Byron Bay. In the time mum was uh, Mum's money was stripped out, he was um, apparently working at Ballina at the time, but yeah. still in the same vicinity, still in the same locations. You know, if you're looking at the, the map, it's not that far away from each other. So I thought that was a really interesting thing, and you can read about that on the Facebook page. The, the link is there. The story is there. And, again, I've had a lot of my sluice going back and forth trying to find this guy's locations, where he worked, what he was doing, to try and see if he marries up to us um, and our story. Um, and then I also, there's been quite a few people ask me if we could look at getting a, a psychic to look at the case. There's a tongue in cheek with that with me um, because, you know, nothing's ever proven until it's proven, right? But... You know, when you're grasping at straws I think you just go for whatever you can do and I've been recommended um, to speak to a lady called Pam Cominato and she's in the US she's featured on Dr Phil um, and has done features on Sensing Murder in the USA and Medium Um, and I've actually contacted her and asked her if she would be happy to help me uh, to which she said she would so she's asked me to give her my mum's first name and a photograph of my mum and um, she will get back to meet her. Her mum just went into hospital, so she's asked me to be patient and give her a bit of time, but um, she said that she'll definitely help me. So that's a really good thing. And uh, lastly from me, we've got a guy whose name is Jim Fitzgerald. He's a retired FBI criminal criminal profiler. Um, He's a forensic linguist and examines language. Um, So it was suggested to us that we get um, any letters postcards, um, et cetera, of of mums, so that he can actually do a criminal assessment on it to see if she was being coerced in her writing style. Was she fearful of her life? Was she in a happy place? Was she okay? Was she not okay? So um, I've brought with me today to give to Alison so we can get the ball rolling on that. A mum's letter that she wrote, because the handwritten letter that she wrote for her resignation, I have a copy of that, um, I've got birthday cards. I actually found... Last night I found my birthday card for my twenty, my 22nd, my 23rd and my 24th birthday card. Um, I found a, a birthday card that she gave to Chris. And, you know, I think it's quite... Let me just pull it out actually quickly. Um, Chris laughed because someone had made a comment on a different page, which I'm not going to give reference to because it doesn't deserve referencing. But this is a card that mum gave to Chris, who's my husband um, for you son-in-law it says on the front and it's got fish all over the front he was a commercial level 2 diver when we first met working for SeaWorld so he was surrounded by fish and has a love for fish um, and he, it says in the card ever since you've joined us you've added your own special touch to our family times we share, happy birthday to dearest Chris uh, We thank I thank you so much for looking after my sales so well I feel so very relaxed about Leaving her in your care, such caring hands. Love always, Marion. And that's just before, so his birthday is the 15th of June and she left on the 23rd of June. So, you know, I think um, when there was a comment made on that person's Facebook page that um, Leslie had stated that she didn't like, uh, my mum didn't like Chris. And uh, oh, yeah, no, that really upset yeah. Chris a little bit. He goes, wow, that's a really you know nasty thing yeah. to say. So um, I yeah, can no, imagine Leslie these, saying well,
1: like, that. These people don't know you and your family, Sal. And, and I'm glad you brought up Leslie. Leslie, if you're watching this, uh, sorry, listening to this, we, we want to talk to you. Um, please talk to us, Leslie. Um, you were the person who last saw Marion who, who drove her to the bus stop you don't have to talk to done. us
0: talk to Sally she, and none of that needs to be repeated
1: it ta- ta- can just be ta- ta- between ta- ta- you to and Sally, Sally in private yeah absolutely it, it should, so you need to talk to Sally about her mum please talk to her
0: so <sighs> um, but you know this is this is going to be good now Joe, um Fitz, jo, jo, John. John? Jim, Jim, sorry, <laughs> Jim Fitzgerald. I'm so sorry, Jim, if you're listening. Um, he works with Laura Richards, who we've already had um, on here, who's an amazing um, profiler and has her own podcast. Um, and she she was terrific talking about her take on it. So yeah, so we'll we'll get on to Jim as well. Um, look, there's so much happening. I'm very excited, um, and I I hope. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of I think um, silver linings now um, that you know we've got to look forward to. So thank and you very much. Yeah,
2: and look, if I oh, there's so much I could tell you guys. Seriously, I can't fit it into thirty minutes. But um, I posted a photo on my page this morning and on the Lady Vanished page about um, the Jamie Boyd which I actually have a yeah. photo of and I've had all these people come like it's like crazy days. My phone just goes bing 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 with all these posts and people finding information about that that piece of artwork that's currently being sold and this and that and the other. And then I had a lovely lady the other day who said, Look, I live in the Blue Mountains. Do you want me to help you with Norman Lindsay? Um, because we found out that Norman Lindsay had closed down their catalogue. So it was making it very difficult for me to actually search anything. And I I sort of said to her, I'll give you a brief description of what I remember of the artwork. And um, anyway, so she sent me back quite a few different pieces and I screenshot two of them and kept them for myself while I was trying to study them. And there's one in particular that I thought this looks like if I was going to save, if I was going to put money on it, this is the one I would put on there. I've also put that on my Facebook page this morning so you can all check it out but um, I was very brave and I contacted Ray Barter. haven't spoken to Ray since I was 18. I'm now 46 um, and I just asked him because obviously he was an adult at the time. I was a, I was a kid at school um, and I wouldn't say that Norman Lindsay was really high on my priority list when I was 18 um, but I remember it being next to their bed on the wall in their room and uh, he confirmed that mum had that piece of artwork before he met mum and he thinks that she bought it from the Norman Lindsay Art Gallery at Falkenbridge in the Blue Mountains Um, and he believes that the one that I showed, I sent him both the ones that I'd picked out and he said, yeah, the one on the left. So I said, "Are you saying that you think that's it?" And he goes, "Yeah, I think that's my recollection. That's the photo. That's oh, the, that's the same Sounds one. So so well, that's good. To fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he said, he 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 and Mum bought the Jamie Boyd together, mm-hmm. and he said they bought it somewhere in the Blue Mountains. He can't remember, so he's going to sort of go to Google and see if he can remember where it was or the the place where it was um, at least, so that it, maybe I can go back to them and talk to them about when Mum purchased it, um, and see if we can get some ideas. Because realistically, I need." I need the numbered... You know, um, detail of those artworks to be able to do anything with them. But yep, and I'll, re- um,
1: I'll repost that to the um, Lady Vanish's page as well f- from your page, Sal. Missing person yeah, data. Yeah. so that every, everyone can, can. Well, it's just so people
2: it. know because I, I keep getting people going. Have you checked this? Have you checked that? Have you gone yeah, to yeah. DNA? I have. I did look up the Ancestry.com thing yesterday. It's like 129 dollars for me to get my DNA we'll, to we'll them. We'll cover that, Sal. <laughs> Stop it. Anyway, but, you know, like it's something we are we are working constantly on it, and there's a lot of people asking me when's the next podcast, when's the next podcast, when's the ne-
0: next podcast. Wait, wait, there'll be a next podcast, I think quality over quantity. Um, the next podcast will come when we get a, a, a major breakthrough. Um, in the meantime, we will keep doing conversations um, and certainly um, the coronial inquest will be that's a major breakthrough um, if we get the okay on that when that starts as well. So um, Plus, we also asked for the audio from NCAT, so we'll have a bit of that as well in the future. But um, stay tuned, and I want to thank you all today. We didn't get it to any letters, I'm afraid, but um, there's a lot to get through, and um, we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thanks,
2: everyone. Thank you. Bye,
0: Bye See everyone. See you next
2: week.